one of the things when we first spoke, I was I was looking at your website actually, and you I noticed your offices. So you've yeah. got offices in Rotherham. Yes. In Teesside. Yes. And Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So explain that to me because that, that's not a natural set of offices, shall we say? How did, how did the Manhattan one happen? Okay. Uh, well Welcome to the podcast, Craig Body. Thank you. From Baliante, if I pronounced that right. That's right, yeah. Excellent, yeah. good stuff. Um, so for Watch the Listeners, do you want to introduce yourself, who you are and what you do? Yes, so uh, obviously Craig Body from Baliante. Uh, we help businesses with their technology and their IT uh, where things aren't quite right. Uh, systems, making sure that technical support sorted out, their website, web design, development, CRMs. Uh, so just technology from that point of view, really, to help them do what they do best. So, you know, if you're a team of HR people or architects, the last thing you want to be doing is struggling with your IT. So we take that pain away. Okay. So web development, app, uh, app development, yeah. managed IT managed service. Yeah, that that's what? our primary service, IT managed services. IT managed yeah. service. Mm. Okay. And how long has the business been going? Uh, sort of unofficially, about 2015-16, um, we lodged it full-time uh, 2019, so three or four years now. Okay, uh, that was just from memory, that was just before something called COVID all kicked off, yes. wasn't it? So, I remember that. Yeah, so <laughs> how, how was that for your business? Was that? I'm not going to lie, it was kind of kind to us. Um, okay. Obviously people were sent home with, you know, go and work from home, what's a VPN? <laughs> how do I log on? Where's my files? How do I do this? What's Teams? What's Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> um, all these things that people just sort of launched into. So we saw a big influx there of people not knowing how to do things, not knowing how to work from home. Um, not many businesses had, had migrated to the cloud at that point, you know, that or some of them hadn't. And, and obviously trying to remote into systems within buildings that was nobody in. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. A lot of sort of projects like that, migrations and cloud migrations, and how to help people get online and and training as well. That's a big piece because I think there's uh, I could go on about this for a whole hour, but you know, there's a, a big piece around like adult education. You know, they kind of leave in school at, at 16, 18, whatever, and if they're going into some sort of different trade, like uh, you know, specialising in maths or specialising in science or something, they, they never touch a computer. Um, so there's a, a huge piece that um, you know we're, we're trying to focus that um, we're launched a different avenue of our business at the moment, Valiant Education, um, where we're trying to t like upskill people and trying to teach them you know basic Excel skills, moderate Excel skills, um, Power BI. That's a huge you know reporting platform that's really useful to businesses. People don't know how to use it, um, so it's just generally trying to to bring technology to people and make it understandable as well. Interesting. So you're going into businesses selling a is it a, a prepackaged? You buy a classroom style education, or what? What does that package um, look like? It, well, again, we try and make it as flexible as possible. So it's what what do you want? Do you want us to come to you? Do you want to come to us? We run them every month in our office. Right. Um, we have about 10, 15 places monthly. Um, sometimes we run them a couple of times if we get a lot of interest that particular month, but. Um, you know, it's just about like kind of bringing it to you, but we do it a bit differently in that we ask you to bring your laptop and we work on like Excel, but we work on your problem. Right. Um, so you leave with a bit of knowledge, you know, a bit of how to do something, but also with your problem sorted. So it's like a bit of a, a quick snippet tour of how to do something, but with that knowledge sort of fixed. I think that's really good. So obviously one of the themes on this podcast is my age. And I remember 
in my first sort of office role um uh, i was they arranged you know sort of microsoft word excel you know training and it wasn't relevant to what i did it mm. was just very you know um generic training yeah. so while i remembered some of the basics the, the power of excel which is obviously you know hugely powerful yeah i'm you know I, i'm scratching probably three or four percent of what excel's capable of mm. um and i think so it actually sounds really good that the fact that you're making it relevant to the person's problem so they go all oh, right that's what we did you know the last time so actually yeah i can now i can move that into into a real world scenario whereas mm. i even with word um well you always help me um, mm. I'm, i like yeah. Uh, yeah word is my most proficient at word which is, <laughs> it's all about me yeah. uh it's brilliant this podcast because straight away i'm thinking the, there's products that we sell that we don't offer formal structured training around and that's that's a service that we definitely could offer well just just on that craig then so how popular has that been um very actually you know we're seeing a lot of people uh you know existing customers who have, have seen a, a gap in their you know their team's knowledge and they've sent people on there people who aren't our customers who have seen something on linkedin or facebook or something like that who have just been like do you know what um say 40 odd uh, could do with a bit of a brush up I'd like to come along so you're seeing a lot of the and I think that was the pandemic as well mm -hmm. people are brushing up on their own skills people are aware of their own skills gap mm. um, maybe just wanting to help themselves so we see a lot of that too and is it sorry I probably should ask all this off camera but is it um, specific to a business or is it multiple businesses in that one training session all learning about Power BI so would it be a Spectrum training session or would it be a Power BI session that Spectrum could send people to? It'd be both, both. yeah. Um, okay. So if it was something you wanted in your office, yeah. we'd send a trainer to you if yeah. you were looking at sort of like 10, 15 people to be trained. Um, if it was just you and you know you wanted to do it for Spectrum yeah. uh, and you were going to be the only person doing that, then you'd probably come into one of our sessions. Yeah. So it just, okay. just varies like that really. Like it, and uh, what about the the size of the business then? So you, you, I know you've been going in various formats for a few years, but if you mm. only started properly in since twenty nineteen or full time since twenty nineteen, what? Yeah, is it is, is there just a few of you? How many have you got within the business at the minute? Um, so technically, there's nine in in, in total. That includes a couple of part timers and stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was myself and my other half who set the business up. Um, yeah. We had it running alongside full time work for a, a good number of years. Um, that obviously got in the way, you know like now what, half past nine on a Wednesday morning like, I couldn't have come here I was at work you know yeah. that sort of thing so obviously by leaving work um, you know I experienced a redundancy and by doing that it, you know opened a lot of opportunities and I thought like you know I could go into another job and never try this so um, I thought you know what the hell let's have a go mm, <laughs> um, and, and that was a, a big thing for us because obviously um, a lot of people say like working with your other half um, that could be a a bit of an issue really in terms of like you know all of the eggs are in one basket sort of thing financially uh mother half stayed in work for about nine months and then it just got too busy and uh you know we both had to do it and then we worst thing ever was was hiring a member of staff that responsibility and that like worry of, of you know looking after that one person but mm. i think we you know we, we're seeing a lot of decent growth we're, we're you know managing it nicely we're not sort of going too big though what we can be you know just making sure that we're in the right place at the right time that sort of stuff mm. who's the boss 
Uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we, we kind of split it, really. Um, so uh, Lewis looks after the technical services side of things. I look after like the sales, admin, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to say me, but probably him. <laughs> Shared responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. And uh, one of the things when we first spoke, I was I was looking at your website actually, and you I noticed your offices. So you've yeah. got offices in Rotherham, yes, in Teesside, yes, and Manhattan, yes, <laughs> yeah. So explain that to me because that, that's not a natural set of offices, shall we say? How did out of the Manhattan one it happen? Okay. Uh, well, Rotherham is where we live. It's, yeah. uh, it's kind of, you know, I've lived there 12 years. Um, so Middlesbrough is my hometown. So I, I naturally wanted one up there. Um, there's a lot of opportunity into the Northeast at the moment. I think it's been mm. really neglected for the last 20, 30 years. Mm. Um, I think, you know, in the last few elections, it's been uh, brought into like politics and government and stuff about putting some investment into the Northeast. And it's lovely to see. Mm. Um, so our presence up there really is, and we're getting in like a nice little bit of traction up there. Um, got a, a lovely client base up there now. Um, and it's nice to see that, that, you know, what I'm seeing from like the South Yorkshire region, Sheffield's obviously a big, big city, isn't it? Mm. Um, and the sort of disparities between the two, uh, there's a big difference. And I think now that like the Northeast is getting some of that, uh, I'm sure you maybe experienced a little bit of that in Hull, like, you know, because it's yeah, definitely yeah, small town and stuff. So it's nice to see it like making up and, and getting that difference. Um, Manhattan, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's what he's really yeah. Into me. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no I, I think you're right on T side. I think Hull segue over the last five years has hmm. changed radically as a city, and yeah. there's lots and lots of really good businesses, startups, lots going on in the city. So I recognise that definitely. Yeah, um, and I think comparing sort of like you know London to the northeast and the the difference between those is like comparing sort of New York to to England I think you know mm. there, there's a, a lot of opportunity over there um people want to work with you you know that that's the big difference between sort of what you experience in England and there's a lot of you know something comes to the market like a new piece of technology they're all over it they're wanting to install it in the businesses they're really excited about it um, and we absolutely love the States. We go as often as we can because I think it's a lovely country. Mm. Um, and so we we started going to networking groups when we went on holiday um, a few years ago, like, sort of like 16, 17, 18, that sort of time frame. Uh, and just started building a little bit of a, a mini client base over there. Um, last year, one of our really good clients over there said to us, um, I won't do the accent, but it was quite a harsh, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got something wrong here. And I said, what's that? He said, well, you're trading out of England. It's not going to work for you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that that whole trust piece, uh, what are you going to do about that? Because, you know, you're in, in a different country. And I said, okay, fair enough. So we, uh, when we went over in November last year, um, we started having a little look. Um, and we signed up for one in, in February when we went back in, in February this year. Um, and so obviously it's it's not a huge office over there. It's just a sort of a, a small working space, um, but it just allows us to have that address and it allows us to have the, the presence over there. It allows us to go and meet people when we do go over there. Um, and, and he was right, if I dare say, um, you know, in terms of, of like you know, inbound inquiries can now come in because we've got that presence over there. Um, and that would be the dream to try and like kind of spend time between the both countries because mm. I think I don't want to ever leave England. It's my home. It's like you know, there's a lot of opportunities here too. Mm. Um, but 
you know having that that presence over in the US is is really good and enjoyable too. So so you're in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, how f- how broad is your your client base there? Is is it still quite close? around the Manhattan area or have you branched out? Uh, largely it's in New York City or state. Um, but we have got a, a client in Wyoming, one in Florida um, and one in New Mexico. So it's like kind of, I think because New York scene is like London, like the, you know, the, the hub of the, I know yeah. it's not the capital, but uh, it's kind of seen as that. I think you know, if it was some office in like remote Texas, I think you'd, you'd get a couple of clients there, but you wouldn't like reach the whole country. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what uh, what spurred us on for New York City. Um, that that was the right place to have it. I think. And how do you get leads? All right, you've got an office out there, but how does mm-hmm. that actually turn into people connecting with you to say, "Can you come and talk to us about IT?" Um, so, well, mainly we do a lot of the the web development, CRMs, uh, and like the social media and digital presence stuff over okay. there. Um, <coughs> but really just the same as we would here so just you know attending networking groups um, and living by our values you know so making sure that we do things when we say we're going to do them making sure that we you know we're, we're giving the right solution for things um and taking that headache away so they can run their business that that's like our kind of, of mantra what we live by uh you know we take that that it headache away so that you can get on with you know running your hr business running your finance business so what you don't understand, we make simple and allow you to excel in what you do rather than holding you back by your technology. So it's a lot of kind of word of mouth over there, and but it would have, it must have been instigated from that from networking events. Is that networking, right? yeah, LinkedIn's obviously a big thing as it is here, um, yeah. more so over there really. Um, you know that there's a lot more people on there, and just the sheer size of the place. You know, there's more people live in New York City, I think, than lives in England as a whole, something like that. So it, it, oh, the numbers are not quite far away. So. Yeah. Uh, I think in terms of, of like the amount of people out there, word of mouth is very good. I think once you get in with somebody over there as well, like the loyalty thing, right? Um, if you do someone a good job, they're very, very keen to tell other people uh, and they're very keen to sort of recommend you. Mm. Uh, I know we do that here too, but not on the scale that they do. Mm. And what's the what's the perception of English, the English in term, when it comes to business? Okay. In the US. <laughs> uh, yeah, I asked this question actually to a, to a really good sort of like, it's almost become a friend now, really. Okay, I want to talk about another process that we often get asked to automate, which is the processing of sales orders. So think about a sales order coming to an organization. Often it's in a PDF or attached to an email. We're using capture technology to extract the information from that sales order. We're checking what products are on there. We're matching it up against a database to say, do these products exist? We're checking the customer name to say, does this customer exist? We might even check the pricing to make sure the pricing is accurate. If all of that matches, then again, we could just push it straight into an ERP system or a finance system and nobody has to touch it. If there are issues with it, if there are things that don't quite match, we just push that to somebody to manually review and check. But ultimately, again, we're pushing it into an ERP or finance system. It's all about making your life easier. It's about making your team's life easier. And it's about getting cash into your organization quicker and more efficiently. Hopefully that sounds good. If it does, then get in touch. Let's have a coffee and a chat. Enough from me. Back to the podcast. Um, But that we're very easy going. Uh, we're very we work to a very very high quality of, of work so like our standards are a lot higher um, but we're a bit sort of wishy-washy in our approach sometimes like that you know in America it's <laughs> like 
you know, over here where people, you know, say they want to work with you, you have a meeting, you know, you, you map it all out. Over there, it's very much like, I want to work with you, go and do it, bye. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no sort of uh, backwards and forwards of meetings. You'll you'll learn on the first meeting whether someone wants to work with you or not. Uh, simple as that. Which is not a bad thing. No, it's not. Not at all. It saves you a lot of messing about. It saves you a lot of to and fro. Because I mean, you know, everybody who who's responsible for like the the lead generation and the new business, mm. um, you know that frustrating cycle, don't you? Of speaking to somebody, um, they're really interested. You go and see them. Mm. Uh, they haven't got the budget. Okay, well, what did you book the appointment for? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that doesn't really happen. I mean, it does, but mm. not not regularly in the states. It's like, you know, people have got the budget, they're willing to spend, then they'll approach you, and they really want the problem fixing yesterday. Mm. So on on actually that that's what I was going to ask around. I, I get I get the impression, and you've kind of sort of rubber stamped it that you know that they get on with things and then they want instant sort of action if you like. So if you if you agree to work with someone in the morning, they probably want you helping them by the afternoon. Is is that? Um, yeah, they're they're a lot more like understanding than than that, I suppose. So like they they, they understand like if something's going to take time, such as like uh, if you're going to be be moving somebody from like uh, one platform to another or something like that, they understand that that's going to take time, and as long as you lay the time frames out to them, they're happy with that. Um, and they, they like to leave you to get on with it quite a lot, which is quite nice. You know, that, that's uh, the kind of, they want to know what you're doing, when you're going to do it, and that's it. They're, they're not looking for that kind of granular involvement because they are like out chasing business like like, like I've never seen. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're really, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there. They're off chasing it and they want you just to handle this, this small snag that they've got in terms of they don't know how to use Teams or um, they're wanting the website developing or uh, they need a new CRM, they're moving from HubSpot, something like that. Um, they just want you just to do it so that they can go and chase what they want to chase. Yeah. And and how price-driven is the US market versus the UK? Because my perception, rightly or wrongly, of the UK market in some areas, like, I guess, web development. Hmm. You can find web developers, freelance. Yeah. It becomes quite commoditized in some areas. Hmm. Is that the case in the US or is it different? Um. I think price is less of a factor over there. Uh, I'd probably say it's it's either number one or number two decision over here. Like yeah. generally, it's you know like brand quality and and who you are and then price. Um, price is probably like quite down the list in terms of of the US market. They kind of they want to know what you're about. They want to know how you can do it and how it can improve and you know and the working relationship because they want that relationship with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think looking at all endpoints first before price comes into it. Um, I think that their economy is probably a little bit better than ours, so I think they've got a little bit more spare cash to be able to to invest in things. Yeah. Um, and they know how to do things properly as as well, which is is good. Yeah. And is this the first step of your international expansion? Are you looking at I don't know, Singapore and wherever else you're looking at expanding further or is um, folks on the US? I think we need to, what's the saying, walk before you can run or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so I think we, we'd like to make a good job of, of this first, um, you know, maybe establish uh, a really decent presence out there mm. before we start tackling another another country, but never say never. Mm. Mm. And, and do you run everything from the UK at the minute or do you, do you travel out to the US to work on projects how does that um how does that work? both <laughs> yeah uh, so we travel out if we need to 
Uh, but generally, we, we run operations over here. Our team, um, we run a highly skilled team of like developers and technicians and stuff. So mm. we don't like make websites on templates and things like that. We're making them from scratch in code to designs. We work the a lovely design company in, in, in Sheffield who's our design partner we work really closely with right. um, and, and together we have a product there that, that really you know they do the design we do the build it, it works really well um, and so it's that that kind of the quality of that um, is what what sells us on mm-hmm. that, that aspect so um, but people don't really care where you're building it from like the you know the guys in the states they're not bothered if it's built in england or france or wherever yeah uh, as long as it's done and it's exceptional and they can sort of shout about it they're happy and what's what's uh the work mix that you have in the us is it is it more the the web design the the crm piece or is it more the it support piece um it's a lot more the website development uh, the okay. online services like the seo that sort of stuff yeah. um a few crms a few server customers um so they're kind of like they're the major stuff that we're we're doing in the us at the moment um the technical support <coughs> stuff uh i think you know we're a national company in the uk and we can travel we've got contractors that, that we've got access to around the uk um, we haven't got that established quite in the US at the moment, so okay. I think you know, to take somebody on um, without the the means to deliver it, it wouldn't be the right step. Uh, yeah. So I think you know until we get to that stage, uh, we'll launch the IT spot separately. I think over there. Interesting. Can I ask you about the Baliante name? You can. So what what what's the origin? Where did that come from? Um, so we used to be called something else. Um, okay. So uh, something else, interesting yeah. name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so we were called Switch My Server originally. Um, so and that was a play on words that we thought of, uh, and this is why we use design company to do our designs because we're not very creative <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, and so that was a kind of play on words about you know switching your server, service provider, that sort of stuff. Um, it it did as well for about four or five years. Um, but we, we kind of needed to rename to a name that fitted what we were. Um, and so, as I mentioned before, the design company we use in, in Sheffield, um, a wonderful marketing agency, the dual marketing. Um, and we went to them with that, that problem that, you know, that, that we think the name has run its course, um, logo, branding, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we went on a had a bit of a, a meeting with the managing director Johnny, um, who's a wonderful friend of ours, uh, and we we went on a bit of a walk and um, just to kind of like clear our heads away from the office that sort of stuff. Uh, and he asked us what's really important to us, like what what do you forget, like like kind of generating income and all that sort of stuff. What do you do for your customers? Um, why are people your clients? You know, questions like that. Uh, and we said that, that we like to be original. Um, you know, we like to to dare to to suggest something different. It, you know, we're not going to just take somebody on and just run with what they've got if we don't think that's the right solution. So maybe that it creates more work in the short term, but it, you know, it's a, a long term game for them. Um, so we like to be individualistic, courageous to to suggest things different. Uh, so all this sort of stuff. Um, and he went away and he came up with the the name Baliante, which is. Uh, it means 
them things in different languages around the world. Now I can't remember which one's which. Uh, I probably <laughs> should learn it to be fair. Uh, but it's it's things like it means original in, in like a, a Korean language. It means individualistic in like an ancient Japanese language, that sort of stuff. Um, it also means dancing in Italian, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and as soon as he said it to us um, and we saw it written down, it, we thought that's the one. It really fits with what we, we are, who we are. Um, and so obviously the branding followed. Um, and it, it really, it stepped us up a notch. It really, it took us from sort of being a startup sort of SME to mm. uh, to really sort of establishing ourselves. And it was a, a move I really think, it, don't regret at all. It was a, a proper decision to do. Yeah, it's cool. I'm, it's cool I'm sorry, Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. So on, on that walk, you, you mentioned that one of your, your values is is not to be scared to, to suggest that change Mm-hmm. You know, um, not just going to come in and go. Yeah, we'll we'll carry on with that. That's working for you, rather than actually do you know what? That's not right. How do you find? Because one of the things that we do is when we go into companies, one the key things that we're doing is is change management. You yeah. know, what we put into businesses is in effect changing a process for mm-hmm. the better. But yeah. sometimes it meets resistance. So mm-hmm. um, I'm intrigued to understand. When you go back to a client, it's like, yeah, it's all fine, but actually uh, we want you to, to pick it up, please, Craig. What, uh, how do you, when you go back and go, do you know what, that's not right for you. It needs to be this. How do you find the response to, to suggesting change? Yeah, it was an interesting question, isn't it? And I think um, a lot of it is fear of unknown. So I think, you know, if you don't know what you don't know, that can be a big issue. Um, so uh, I think, a lot of it is, you know, explaining what the benefits would be, why it would be a, a certain, why a certain change would be a good idea, um, making sure that they fully understand what we're going to do, why we're going to do it, what it's going to achieve, and what would be the problems of not doing it, um, and then obviously letting the client decide because obviously we're not going to force change on people, um, but if we suggest, you know, from from that point of view, you know, you've got. Um, you know, an old database that you use, or an Excel spreadsheet or something. You know, if you were to invest, you know, a relatively small amount of money, for example, in a CRM system, that means that all your staff would be able to access it from wherever. You'd be able to work on it from home. We'd be able to plug a reporting platform into it. That reporting platform would be able to give you all your stats, your income, uh, anything that's outstanding, work that's outstanding, project tools, be able to assign projects to people. And when they hear what it can do. Um, I think most of the time they know it's a no-brainer. So then it's just kind of how you manage that and map it out to them. Uh, that stage process, like, you know, we're going to use your old system right until the new one's uh, ready. Uh, then we're going to do a migration piece. So we're going to move the stuff from what you're doing into the new system, mm-hmm. um, explain what testing happens, explain like resilience, failovers, what's going to happen if it doesn't work and we'll go back to doing this. Um, and kind of just explaining fully what's going to happen um, and keeping them involved as well. I think um, part of our bespoke CRM is we can like brand it up as them. We can put logos where you want logos. You can have your own colours, all that sort of stuff. So I think it, it really establishes their identity too, uh, which is a you know a really useful thing. Yeah, the small touches, aren't they? But I think mm. important it makes makes them feel part of the change. I guess. Yes. So, one, so. Sorry, one of the other things you said there, um, Craig, uh, testing. Mm. How. Uh, how do you f- how how does that go? Um, so we do testing internally, um, and then we'll do like a soft launch where we let the client do testing as well. 
uh, and then we'll probably do like kind of a, a phased rollout where we let some of the staff do some testing so it's kind of we really put it through its paces to make sure that it's released to a standard that can be usable uh, or while the existing system or platform is running in the background so that they're not sort of because one thing that you really have a, an issue is it is if you you know you've got directors and stuff making these decisions but I think it's really important to involve the people on the ground as well. Yeah. Um, so if you've got like a team of people, I don't know, um, road safety inspectors or something who are using uh, a thing like a PDA or something like that, and they're kind of going out and, and then it turns out they have to actually use their mobile phone now and email the picture in and upload it because the new system doesn't do pictures with the old one did, uh, you know, that's you just instantly lose buy-in from the people who are actually using the system which you know has a really negative effect on the business so i think spending time asking the director and stuff you know can you bring in the the workers and can you bring one into the meeting can you you know and hearing from them like hearing on the ground what they're doing that that's a, a huge piece i think that that really sets it out and lets them kind of know how it's going to be and, and know how it's going to work do you ever any, have any challenges in that area though yeah. because people have as we find out regularly people have their day job to do and we mm. say you know can you spend some time testing this solution a they're not experienced testers they've probably never done it before they probably don't see the value of it and they're, they're busy yeah and, and then that's a, an issue that we do come across I don't mind saying yeah yeah uh, I mean uh, yeah we encounter the same issue um, so I think it's all in terms of like when you sort of build the system or when you're going through the, the sort of selling phase um, it's important to put it in within the sort of the project scope that you know in six months time uh, this week and that week we're going to need a, a person to test this uh, you know, in eight months' time, when we're doing the launch, we're going to need, you know, half of your guys in a training session, and mm. the other half do. You know, so I think if you if you give them that scope right at the beginning and tell them what what's going to happen and what's expected to come, it's just about being like open and transparent, isn't it? And mm. showing them what what they need and when and how and what they'll need to bring and what they'll need to have and what resilience they'll need. As long as you have that, if you're dropping it on them like on a Friday or Monday, can somebody test something? That that's you know, not going to go down too well. Yeah, I, su I suppose if I can counter that slightly, I agree with everything you've said. Even when you put the plan together and you tell them that yeah. in six, eight weeks' time we're going to need you to test this element of the system, and in ten weeks' time that element of the system, and then we get to that point, we're ready, mm -hmm. and they go, "Oh, something's something's changed. We can't do it." And yeah, you you have to be, you know, as the provider, you have to be flexible, mm -hmm. but sometimes that can be the challenge you can have the best you know, best laid plans and all of that but actually when it then falls over and then suddenly they're stressed because they've got this work that's being dumped on them or whatever situation and then it affects when they test and then we sometimes experience where someone will say yeah i've tested it so we want them to test let's say a hundred of whatever the process is and they test five mm. and it's like yeah yeah because that's the only time i've got so do you ever because do you ever get the situation where that the plan changes and how does that how's that how's that managed via the client yeah obviously it happens all the time um you know things crop up um you know issues occur within their person's businesses that you know has to delay projects and stuff like that so it's about like you know managing that with them and and sort of working towards their new deadlines um, but I think it's important to establish that right back in the sales stage. So, you know, put that back on them. Like, are you invested enough in this to give us yeah. 
like six weeks worth of testing. Are you invested enough in this to to give us an employee for four days to, to test? Um, and then maybe sort of creating sort of training guides and stuff on paper that say like what needs to be tested with sign off. Um, and then obviously that kind of puts more information onto them so that they can they can see what they need to do and when. Mm. Um, and then, you know, even at, right back at that stage, it could be a really good project. It could be something that's really exciting. But if the person says to you, like, I haven't got that time to invest in that, you knowing to say, okay, let us know when you when you can and, and we'll park the project because it's no point rushing into it mm. uh, when that person's not ready. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We, we experience the same challenges. Um, I'm, I'm always interested when we get um, kind of owners of businesses on about the kind of the journey, I guess, of setting the business up and, and growing mm. the business. And you, if you're from 2019 to now to have nine people and a successful business in three offices, you've obviously done a really good job. Um, I guess what what have been the big challenges over the last few years as you've scaled the business? Is there anything that's come and blindsided you that you thought, God, I didn't expect that? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, all <Lots>. the time. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is staff. Like from two points of view, one is like that sort of that I can't think of the right word to use the the responsibility, I suppose, of of hiring someone and knowing it's the right time to hire someone, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're responsible for their their income and all that that sort of stuff is a plays a big part with me. Um, the other part of it is is obviously it's very different in my opinion from i mean i've managed teams in loads of previous jobs but it's very different from being an employer to being a manager um i think you know you try and make the company a really nice culture you try and make it a lovely place to work um you try and choose the right people unfortunately sometimes that doesn't go quite how you expect and you you find that people don't do quite what they should do when you're not there or um, you know they, they take an opportunity to to not do something or cut corners if it's not fitting with your brand and stuff like that so and I take that very personally because like we've chose the person um, so I think that's probably the the biggest thing um, the other is obviously is is the fact that I work with my other half um, so that's both of us invested in the business mm. so in terms of like a safety net I suppose it's not it's not like we're one of us is on Morrison's checkout that can at least pay the bills. Um, you know, both of us are, are foot first in the business, but I think it's about going back to what you're saying about the the New York stuff and uh, the technical sport. It's about making sure that you only take on what you can, um, mm-hmm. not taking on too much, not running before you can walk, um, and choosing that. I'd like to say, like our clients are really nice people. We, we choose to work with nice people, um, so it's about making sure that we we. Get the right fit for our business as well mm. do you walk away from opportunities where you're like do you know what you're not the right fit for us absolutely yeah uh, and that's something i think that's kind of when you know that your your business is is nicely established because mm. you know go back to you know even before 2019 when we were still doing it sort of part-time and stuff you know we've took on some large projects for tiny budgets for really difficult people and um you know it, that that thing that where you can say you, just, you know if the person isn't a good fit um you're not doing either party any favors so you know you're not doing your client the right service and you're not doing your team the right service as well um you know in terms of like it's a very very kind of big thing for us that 
that you treat our technical services staff with respect. So if you're ringing up with a problem, you know, I appreciate your, your IT issues and things like that. Um, they're going to deal with it to the to the highest standard. They're going to sort you out. Um, and so if I saw a hint in someone that that they weren't going to speak to us very nicely, I mean, I've worked in call centers, I've worked in um, that sort of stuff before. Um, so if a client, you know, was to, to sort of behave like that, that that's not a good fit for us. Mm. Um, and you can normally see that in the in the sales process, you can tell like sort of what their demands are. Um, And that's something you learn. That's not something you you pick up overnight, you know, Um, and and that's kind of a a thing. The other thing I think as well is, is yes, I'm the business owner, but um, having some faith and trust in your team. So, you know, I I don't, just because I own the business doesn't mean I know everything there is to know. So um, there is times when a technician will probably know more in an area than I do and it's about having that faith and that trust in, in asking what they think asking for their opinion mm. makes them feel valued it makes sure that you're given the right solution for your for your client um, and not to be too big headed in that situation I think too mm. yeah. so you're a tight knit uh, team of, of, of nine mm-hmm. um, what do you do for fun do you, do you have like quarterly catch ups where you go out and have, have you know, a beer or a meal or yeah, we like to do that as often as we can. So we're a little bit spread out um, in terms of uh, geography. We've got uh, a couple of guys in the northeast. We've got um, some people who travel sort of 45 minutes an hour into the office in Sheffield. Um, and so we do like to, to at least quarterly put on like some sort of food, um, you know, and just have a general bit of a, a night out, pull mm. our hair down and stuff. And I think that's, that's so important. Um, because they get to know you as you. Uh, I think everyone sees you as the business owner. They see you, see you as like kind of the the boss, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we don't like that culture. Um, you know, we we like to work collaborative. We like to work together. Um, so I think you know, letting your hair down. We have such a, a mix of, of staff. You know, our eldest member of staff is seventy one. Our youngest really? is a, yeah, really. <laughs> There's a bit of a story behind that too. Um, our youngest member of staff is about nineteen, twenty. Uh, he's a part timer. He's just on, on the last year of uni, um, so he works with us part time. Yeah. Um, so it's just you know bringing all them people together from such a wide mix of people and such a wide range of expertise. Um, I think it's important to do the, the downtime and the the catch ups and stuff like that too. Can you tell us the story behind the 71-year-old? Because Jamie's only a couple of years off it. Wow. Oh, you've gone there again. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) uh, that's Mike. Um, So I worked with Mike um, about seven years ago. I first met him, maybe a bit less. Um, uh, That was when we were were working um, for for a council. uh, And uh, and I was hiring just... I was an IT manager there for three or four sites, and I was hiring for... Uh, an office in in central Sheffield um and I got his CV uh, and I thought it was a mistake at first because I saw he graduated in 1974 and I thought <laughs> surely it's, it must be 94 uh, it must be a typo um uh, got a lot of experience like so we'll see him uh forgive the typo uh, anyway he walked in and, and clearly yeah he was not <laughs> it wasn't a typo um and um and he said to us basically um He's, he's a really, really successful guy in his own right, Mike. He's worked in, in Australia for some huge banks. He's worked in, in London. He's worked in Iran during the Islamic Revolution, wow. um, the States. Um, he's a really, really, really experienced, knowledgeable guy. Um, 
and he come in and I says, I, I just said, look, I, I know I probably shouldn't answer the question, but why do you want to come and, and work here as a technician? And he says, well, um, I, I've got, financially, I've got an amazing pension, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's it's not about, it's about, I'm losing the world to live. I'm, I'm so bored. Um, I'm kind of, I've cleaned every every brick. I've washed every paving slab. <laughs> I've, every roof tiles in the right place. He says I can't. I, I just I need something to do. So he come on board, um, and he did the work of about five guys. Uh, really? Honestly, he's so hardworking. He's so conscientious. Um, and so fast forward to redundancy, um, he went back into retirement. I think for a little while. Um, and he asked if he could be, he saw what we were doing with the business and asked if he could come and work with us um i said no the first time because i couldn't afford him uh, i was like because no, he, he says i just do bits of bobs she said no we want to pay you like it's, it's the right mm. thing to do um so i think he started work was about two years ago for for valiante um and again he's, he's part-time um he has a, a lovely little routine you know he, he looks after his grandson as well and um and his son's dog and and all that sort of stuff um but again, he's he's in his part time. He does the work of a, a full timer, probably and more. Mm. Um, you know, he's so knowledgeable. He's he's great with what he suggests, and he's a very strange seventy one year old in the fact that he's happy to learn the new technology. So mm. uh, he's our expert in Power BI. He knows all that sort of stuff. Um, in an era where really, without being disrespectful, that you know, kind of. 50 plus the kind of mm -hmm. getting into checking out I'm, I'm not interested yeah, in that I don't yeah yeah um, <laughs> so and it's really cool actually because we've made a, a close sort of friendship with his son um, so he's just gone into business last year he started a telematics company um, that's really doing quite well and it's nice to see him doing that all that sort of stuff so it's uh, it's, it's nice and it's most of our technic guys we've uh, we've chosen rather than hired mm. um, so it's kind of it's a nice nice mix in the office so my, my final question is so what do you, you and lewis do for downtime then do you do you actually ever shut down and go do you know what we'll part valiente for for a while um no it really has <laughs> took over our life <laughs> um you know people did warn us of that before we started and i didn't quite realize quite how much it would um but i'm also not bothered um i, I, I love doing what i do i love having a business i love you know I love looking at what we've achieved in terms of like going into somebody's business and making improvements. I love seeing like their workflows that have improved. Um, so I do enjoy that. Um, we kind of have a little ritual now on a Saturday morning that we will just watch TV and eat bacon sandwiches um, and, and just kind of make sure that Saturday morning is free. Um, so that's become our little bit of a downtime. Um, yeah, just going out for, for meals and stuff like that, I think as well, or an evening after a busy day. Um, just making time for, for each other and, and making sure that we kind of do the fun stuff as well that kind of you know any decoration in the house or stuff like that just making sure that you, you plan them things in and, and probably biggest tip is put it in your diary because if it's in your diary you'll mm. likely do it yeah it's a good tip mm. alright last last question from me so the podcast is called Tomorrow's Workplace Today so mm -hmm. we ask each guest if you can kind of cast your mind forward 10 years what does the workplace of 10 years look like in comparison to today? Oh, interesting question. Um, so I think a lot more technology is going to be coming in place. I mean, um, we were just talking before we started, weren't we, about Microsoft Copilot. Um, yeah. 
I think that's going to be an absolutely amazing piece of kit. I don't know very much about it because there's not a great deal of information yet. I think it's it's released in December. Um, but from what I've seen in like research on YouTube videos and things like that, you're going to be able to do stuff like, you know, create me a ten-page PowerPoint presentation about X business to present a sales pitch to them, and it's going to present you that, or create me a a fifteen-slide. Uh, presentation about my budget for the last year and you're going to be able to go into a boardroom with this present so I think that's going to be absolutely amazing mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a lot more AI uh, a lot more technology I think we're going to see a lot more flexibility as well as people come like the younger generation want a lot more flexibility I think the the old-fashioned um, working to live uh, is that the right way around working to live to work yeah work. I know what you mean yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's going to change big style I think people are going to want to do because um, they're seeing it on TikTok and YouTube and Facebook and people like where they're, they're hiring, they're getting out their hands on a van and they're, you know, they're touring the US or touring mm -hmm. Europe and they're, they're able to work from the laptops. And my view on that is why not? You know, mm -hmm. if, if you can still deliver and you're still able to do what you want to do, um, why, why can't mm -hmm. you do that? So I think employers uh, will probably move to that sort of shift of, of a lot more flexibly working. Um, and probably replacing some gaps with, with tech. Mm, yeah, I think that's a brilliant answer. Uh, Craig, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, and best of luck with Ballyante. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.